0: Hey, Faithful Listener, welcome to season six of the Bible Explained podcast, the podcast where the Bible gets explained. So grab your cup of coffee and enjoy today's discussion from the book of Judges. Hey, guys, this is Jen with the Bible Explained podcast, and today we are in Judges chapter 13. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 10, and we're going to discuss the life of Samson. So we talked about the last few judges in Judges chapter 12, and I mentioned how all four of them really did not have very long careers. They actually died very shortly after becoming the judge of Israel. And before that, you can see that Israel was beginning to spiral into just complete chaos with sin and disobeying God, not trusting in God, and even other nations coming in and trying to take over Israel, which never should have happened because if the Israelites had done the right thing, then God would have been on the Israelite side and the Israelites would have had their land with no other people living in it, by the way. And we noticed in the last chapter that the Amalekites were still living in the, the tribe of Ephraim. So like all these other nations were just kind of trying to move in on the Israelites. And so now here in Judges chapter 13, we're going to talk about the next judge of Israel and we're going to talk about him for a long time, probably about uh, at least a few weeks. We're going to delve into Samson and he's actually the last judge mentioned in the book of Judges. So we're actually moving pretty, pretty quickly through the book of Judges and we'll be in the book of Ruth right after this. But let's go ahead and read Judges chapter 13, 1 through 10 today. As usual, I'll be reading out of W.E.B., grab that cup of coffee or that cup of tea, and let's enjoy reading God's word together. The children of Israel again did that which was evil in Yahweh's sight, and Yahweh delivered them into the hand of the Philistines forty years. There was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and childless. Yahweh's angel appeared to the woman and said to her, See now, you are barren and childless, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now therefore, please beware, and drink no wine, nor strong drink, and don't eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son. No razor shall come on his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite, to God, from the womb. He shall begin to save Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me, and his face was like the face of an angel of God. Very awesome. Very awesome. I didn't ask him where he was from, neither did he tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and now drink no wine or strong drink. Don't eat anything unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah entreated Yahweh and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we should do to the child who shall be born. God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, wasn't with her. The woman hurried and ran and told her husband, saying, Behold, the man who came to meet me that day has appeared to me. So I thought I should discuss the Nazarite laws as we delve into Samson's life. Now, what's interesting about the Nazarite laws is it's basically a vow to God. And it was talked about in Numbers chapter 6. And so I'll read a little bit of it to you guys in a few moments here. But the Nazarite vows was actually a vow that somebody would take. And it wasn't usually something that was like lifelong. In fact, this is kind of rare. I would say very rare for somebody to take a Nazarite vow for their entire lives. Usually it was a set period of time where someone wanted to dedicate themselves to God or fulfill a promise to God or fulfill a vow or something along those lines. They would take the vow of the Nazarite. And what would happen is they wouldn't shave their heads The entire time, whether it was a man or a woman, by the way, any person could take a Nazarite vow to God um, and they wouldn't drink anything. So that's kind of the gist of the Nazarites. But I'll get a little bit more into that in a moment. But it says here in verse one that the children of Israel again did that which was evil in Yahweh's sight. How many times have we heard that verse, like the same exact verse stated in Judges already multiple times? And so it says that Yahweh delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Years Now, this is the longest time period, I want to say, that the Israelites didn't cry out to Yahweh at all. In fact, it doesn't even mention that Israel did cry out to Yahweh. But God still took mercy on Israel, even though it doesn't look like they are trying to cry out to him at all, by sending them this young boy that we're going to talk about, Samson. So you can see just how far the Israelites have fallen. They've fallen into sin into hedonism, into idolatry, into self-worship, into basically everything that was causing the Israelites to get taken over by these other nations. And so God would pull his hand of blessing away from Israel when they were doing evil in his sight. And so the Philistines come in and they are torturing Israel for 40 years. But it doesn't even mention that the Israelites cried to God. But now God is taking mercy out on Israel after 40 years. And it says that there is a certain man of Zorah of the family of the Danites. So this guy was named Manoah and he was of the tribe of Dan. And Dan was one of the worst tribes, actually, of Israel's history. Uh, Dan was was very idolatrous. Dan had I believe, two separate areas of their tribe, one to the north later on, and then also one to the like close to the Mediterranean Sea on the western side of Israel. The Danites, though, they fell into idolatry pretty heavily, which once again, there's a story about that actually later on in Judges that we will talk about specifically the tribe of Dan falling into idolatry very heavily. But Manoah was a Danite. And he had a wife, and her name isn't mentioned here. Now, one thing I should mention about women whose names aren't mentioned in Scripture is that a lot of times the names aren't necessary, first and foremost, but what is more necessary is like their family name. And as you can see here, this woman, her family name would be the fa- the family of Zora of the Danites. That was her family name. And so her specific given birth name wasn't necessary here. And a lot of times scripture will do this. They'll mention where the woman is from or what family she's a part of, but not specifically mention her name. So she was Mrs. Manoa. We'll just talk. <laughs> we'll just call her Mrs. Manoa. So Mrs. Manoah was barren and she was childless. Now, I can imagine that this was a, a heavy burden. You know, I'm also a childless woman. I think you guys um, have heard me talk about that on the podcast before I am, from my understanding, not able to have children because for eight years, my husband and I have been married and we've been actively trying for children for a, a good portion of those eight years anyway. And I haven't gotten pregnant. And it's something that I question God about actually quite often. I'm like, why, why don't I get pregnant? And uh, it's actually been kind of tough for me because, <laughs> not to go off on a rabbit trail here, it has been tough for me because as I'm getting into my 30s here, um, everybody else who is married pretty much has a baby. And so I kind of feel like an outcast sometimes because basically everybody else my age that I know of um, has a child. And so that's that's been sort of tough for me. But here's the thing, though, is in this day and age, it's not looked down upon if you don't have a child, usually. Like it, maybe in some circles, maybe in some... Um, Christian circles it is looked down upon but for the most part it's not and I think people have a compassion and an understanding these days for women who cannot have children and also children for whatever reason are not highly valued in America which is a travesty in my opinion but children it's just not the same as it would have been for Mrs. Manoa back in these days She probably would have felt this very, very deeply that she was unable to have a child. She was likely one of the few people that she knew that didn't have children. And I imagine this weighed extremely heavily on her, not to mention that people in her time period probably thought that she was cursed by God for not being able to have a kid. So she, I'm sure, was feeling just distraught over the fact that she was barren and childless. But all of this had a point. And a lot of times, when you see women in the, the scriptures who don't have any children, it's for God to really work through that woman. I actually had uh, somebody comment on one of my YouTube videos, like a, a really nice, encouraging message to me about the childless thing. And this person was like, you know, read the story of Hannah because had Hannah been able to have children, then Samuel would not have been a part of the, the temple and he wouldn't have had the impact that Samuel had. Now, we haven't gotten to Samuel yet. We'll talk about him in uh, First and Second Samuel <laughs> later on. But that's very true, though. Many times in Scripture, in fact, basically every time in Scripture that we see a woman being unable to have children, it's so that God can do something really cool through that woman. For example, Elizabeth in... The New Testament, she was very old. She was unable to have children, and yet God gave her a child in her old age named John the Baptist. And then in the Old Testament, Sarah or Sarai was unable to have children. She ended up having a child when she was like 90 years old, and that child became Isaac. God usually works through this. He shows his power through the longing of women wanting to have kids. So Mrs. Manoa is struggling with her childness, childlessness. And it says that Yahweh's angel appears to the woman. And I don't know if he just like popped out of nowhere or if he walked up to her. I imagine it was kind of more of the latter where he kind of just walked up to her and gave her this message. You are a barren and childless woman, but you will conceive and bear a child. So this message makes Manoah's wife understand that she is speaking to more than just a man. He's at least a prophet, but his appearance to her looks like an angel. He looks very awesome is actually what she ends up telling her husband, because when she gets this message, she is overjoyed and she ran to tell her husband. But that was on the end of the message. I'm getting ahead of myself here. It says, for behold, you will conceive and bear a child. So please beware to drink no wine or strong drink and don't eat any unclean thing. For behold, you shall conceive a son, and he shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. Do not cut his hair. And he will actually save the land of Israel from the Philistines as well. Now, you can imagine, like, if you got a message like that from a man who looked like an angel, you would be overjoyed. So the woman takes it to her husband, and she's like, This man appeared to me. He said that I am childless. You know, he knew about me and then he said that I'm going to have a son and that this son is going to be a Nazarite from the womb. Now, this is where I'm going to get into some Nazarite rules here. So if you turn to Numbers chapter six, and I'll just read this out of the NIV. uh, It says that if in verse two, if a man or a woman wants to make a special vow, a vow of dedication to the Lord as a Nazarite, they must abstain from wine or fermented drink, must not drink vinegar made from wine or other fermented drink. They must not drink grape juice or eat grapes or raisins. As long as they remain under the Nazarite vow, they must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine, not even seeds or skins. Now, I did discuss this on the podcast once before, and you can absolutely go over to that episode if you want to from Numbers chapter six, and I'll link it. If I remember to, I'll link it in the description of this podcast episode so you can listen to that one again and and listen to the Nazarite vows more in depth. But basically, Nazarites were to abstain from anything fermented, anything that could make them drunk, anything at all. And they were also supposed to abstain from grapes and grape products. This includes like raisins, grape skins, grape juice, the grape itself. They couldn't eat grapes. I imagine that's because grapes can go bad and cause, um, themselves to like fermentation. (laughs) I actually had that happen to me once. (laughs) I didn't get drunk or anything, but I was a little kid. And, um, I had this like little fruit thing that had like grapes in it that my mom gave me and I tasted it. And I was, I spat it out because it was so disgusting. I didn't, I had no clue what fermented grapes tasted like. And I gave it to my mom. I'm like, Mom, this is bad. It's really bitter. And my mom tasted it. And she's like, Oh, that's just fermented grapes. (laughs) I'm like, Okay. But yeah, that happened to me when I was a kid. But they they can become fermented actually relatively easily. And so I imagine that that is at least part of why um, grape juice and grapes in general. In general, we're not supposed to be eaten by a Nazarite. And also they were not supposed to cut their hair. It says in verse five, during the entire period of their Nazarite vow, no razor may be used on their head. They must be holy until the period of dedication to the Lord is over. They must let their hair grow long. Now, this is the um, one time we see in scripture where it's encouraged for a man to grow their hair long. I talked about all that once again in Numbers chapter 6 about why the hair is growing long. So I'm not going to get into that again. But that was just what a Nazarite was supposed to be. Somebody totally dedicated to the Lord, living a clean life, living a pure life, not cutting their hair, uh, also not touching dead bodies of any kind, and just being dedicated. That's that's how God required dedication of Nazarites. The angel here mentions to Mrs. Manoah that she is going to have a baby who has a Nazarite vow from the womb. And so this baby would grow up to be a Nazarite that never cuts his hair, that always is a Nazarite until the day he dies. And also he will begin to save Israel. So the angel mentions to Manoah's wife that she also, because of this, needed to abstain from any strong drinks or fermented drinks or vinegar or grapes or anything that could potentially be passed to the baby. Now, Mrs. Manoa did not need to become a Nazarite. She didn't need to grow her hair long or anything like that, but she certainly needed to make sure that she was eating the correct things, not anything unclean or anything from the grapevine or any vinegar or fermented anything. She needed to eat clean foods that she would nourish her baby with. And I would imagine this went on even while she was breastfeeding the baby as well. This is because God set Samson aside for himself. Kind of like the Israelites were supposed to be set aside. Actually, all of Samson's life is a picture of Israel. It's it's so interesting. God often uses analogies to get people's attention. We see that throughout scripture. For example, yesterday we talked about In the New Testament how Saul became blind and how that was almost an analogy for how Saul was living his life he was purposefully blinding himself to the truth and so Jesus blinded Saul for three days so God often uses analogies to get people's attention and so Samson is dedicated from the womb dedicated to God from the womb he's supposed to be clean and what I mean by clean is a person who follows the Old Testament laws and wants to follow them because they are set aside for God, because they are dedicated to God. So Samson's a picture of Israel, because Israel was also set aside. Israel is also supposed to be following the Old Testament law. And yet they're constantly going astray from God, always going astray from God. And we see as Samson grows up. Yes, he's a Nazarite. Yes, he's set apart. But holy moly, did he do what Israel was doing? He was constantly going astray, constantly breaking the Nazarite vow that he was under to do whatever he wanted to do, and it ended up causing his destruction in the end. But going back to verse six of Judges 13, a man of God came to me. His face was like the face of the angel of God. Very awesome. But I didn't ask him where he was from. Neither did he tell me his name. So she had some reverence for this angel to the point where she didn't even ask him where he was from, but she knew that he was Special. She knew that he was a man of God somehow. And he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. And now drink no wine or strong drink. Don't eat anything unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. So Manoah prays to Yahweh after hearing this message from his wife. He prays to Yahweh and he's like, Please send this man again so that he can teach us what we should do to the child who shall be born. Now, there's a lot of speculation as to why Manoah prayed this prayer. Either he didn't believe his wife's message or he thought it was too good to be true. Maybe he wouldn't believe it until he heard it with his own ears. That's also possible. Or, and this is kind of where I lean, is he just needed more. You know what I mean? Like uh, (laughs) He had the message. Perhaps he believed it but he just needed something more because he didn't have enough faith that God would guide this child. He just didn't have enough faith. And so he needed uh, more from God, like an extra sign or something along those lines. But God had already told Manoah's wife what to do. And that was all God had said. God always tells people what they need to hear. He's not the author of confusion, is what Scripture says. He's not going to confuse you. He tells you what you you need to hear, and he told Manoah's wife what she needed to hear and what Manoah needed to hear as well. But Manoah wanted more. But God did listen to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of the Lord came again to the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, wasn't wasn't with her. So it is interesting that the angel once again appears to the wife. <laughs> Like Manoah is just not anywhere near where the the angel of God is appearing, which once again, angel just means messenger. And I do believe this was um, Jesus, by the way, and I'll get into that later on Friday. But I don't know why he purposefully appeared to Mrs. Manoah instead of Mr. Manoah, but he appears to the missus and her husband wasn't with her. So the woman hurried and ran and told her husband about it, saying, behold, the man who came to me that day has appeared to me. So she couldn't just whip out her cell phone and be like, get over here now like I would do. (laughs) If this happened to me, um, I'd just be like, Garrett, get outside now because the man of God is here. But she had to run and go tell her husband about it. And she probably asked the man of God to wait there while she went and got her husband but faithful listeners, we'll talk more about this story on Friday. We'll talk about what we can learn from Samson also as we study about his life and everything like that. We're also going to to discuss uh, Samson's parents a little bit more in depth as well. Because they also, I think, are, I shouldn't say part of the problem, but they they did do some things, I think, to cause their son to grow up in the way that he he grew up, which was not a fantastic way. Faithful listeners, check out all the links in the description of this podcast episode. Go over to the shop because the t-shirts that I have over there are honestly really, really cool. I have um, one t-shirt that I designed and it's a picture of a lion that I drew by hand And a lot of people love that t-shirt. They say it's very soft, they say it's very comfortable, and I agree. I wear it all the time. It is very soft and it is very comfortable. So take a look at that. Every t-shirt that I have in the shop includes shipping, by the way and tax. So the price that you see is the price you're going to pay when you put it into your cart. And if you do purchase something, that is a great way to support P40 Ministries and the Bible Explained monetarily. Faithful listeners, I will see you all on Friday for another episode out of Judges or tomorrow for an episode out of Acts. Happy listening and God bless.